Podcast issue number eighty-five. I am Ben, sitting alongside DM Matt. Hi, everyone, and DM Will. What's up? <laughs> yeah, DM Nick is out this week because we're recording on Father's Day, and he is celebrating Father's Day. So, happy Father's Day to him. Yeah. Happy Father's Day, Nick. <laughs> uh, so, let's go right into some ports. People want to hear about conventions and everything. Uh, I know I was at a convention, but we'll get to me uh, last since I'm doing the talking right now. Uh, what about <laughs> conventions lately, or Matt? oh me? Oh, oh me? Um, outside of Origins, I haven't done any conventions. I've just been kind of sucked into doing like local film stuff. I may be doing a film with the one of the Sheen brothers, Joe Estevez, the younger brother of Charlie Sheen, the lesser known one. Yes, apparently they're all from Dayton. So, but uh, some people I know are making a movie, and I got to text the other day. Do you want a part in our movie? I'm like, sure. So maybe you'll get to meet like Emilio or Martin, right? Or maybe Charlie will just show up in a completely drunken, drugged out days. You never know; anything's possible. Yeah, let him hit you so he can sue him or something. <laughs> well, the guy's wacko. Yeah, winning. Duh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Conventions, Will, you been going to anything lately or not? Well, I mean, uh, I think I spoke about it last week. I went to the largest historical gaming convention here in the West Coast uh, last month. I went to Enfilade. Uh, next month, we got PaizoCon, which falls during the July 4th holiday week. I forgot what the 4th, let's see, 5th, so it should be the 6th, 7th, 8th, or the 7th, 8th, 9th. Uh, I'll be running an event there or hosting an event there, one of my modules of, that I ran at other conventions, and I will be participating in another event there. From there, then I got Dragonflight, which is in August, and I, I keep forgetting about when uh, PAX West is going. I gotta find out when that's going, and, and then I forgot what the other one I'm supposed to go. There's like two others after that, but just smaller ones in the area. Cool. Uh, I just recently went to uh, North Texas RPG Con, which was fun, which uh, Will get to come down to. You'd love it. <laughs> I, I probably will. Well, you, you, all the TSR alumni are there, and uh, I got to play in a Jeff D. Villains of Vigilante game. Which was That's fun. old school. But it's the new edition, though, because he's coming out with the third. So he oh, was so, oh, so I thought that for a second that they stopped everything for a while for some issues. What was the deal with that? With what? With the villains of vigilantes, wasn't there an issue with the rules? Or I know that there was a cease and desist that went out. There was something to do with uh, the person that wrote the rules was being a pain and was uh, holding back on Jeff. So we had to actually create a different type of game. But then he actually settled with the person, so he's actually able to produce the third edition, which should be coming out with sometime this year, I guess. Excellent, excellent. Uh, you know, villains and vigilantes. I, I started. That came out in eighty, right? Seventy nine, eighty. Uh, around the same time D&D came out almost. Yeah, that sounds right. That's when I first got that orange box set, if everyone remembers that. Oh, man, that was the day. I actually have the second edition box set, which uh, was in nice condition. I got Jeff to sign for me. 
It was, oh, it was cool. like, oh, wow, cool. But uh, the game was really, it, it, the third edition rules I don't like too much because it kept, there was too much math to do. It was oh, my, they went that route with the mechanics, the math rules? Oh, man. It was like, yeah, so you can hit this person, but since you're doing this move, you got to minus this. But if you're doing this, you can add this. It was just like, oh, my God, my head was like, oh. Yeah. It was fun, but there was just too much math to do during the game. Luckily, Jeff did it all, but still, it was a pain. Uh, uh, Frank Mentor was there. Tim Cask was there. Jim Ward was there. They did a seminar on uh, questions and answers, which I sat in on, and it was nice to hear their you know thoughts and how they started, where they, what they did, and uh, how they got their jobs and things like that. Uh, they had a, um, a seminar in second edition, which I sat in for five minutes, and I wanted to vomit, and I left. <laughs> That's hilarious. But someone asked a question to them. Do you think second edition was a slap in the face to Gary? Which I was glad someone actually asked that. And they were like, no, not really. We were just doing our job. So, uh, Did someone really ask that question? Actually, I think it was uh, Bad Mike that actually runs the convention. He asked, this, do you think that was a slap in the face to Gary Gygax when the second edition came out? And they were like, no. We were just doing our job, and we were just trying to, you know, make the game better. That's all. Can they get past all the drama? Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's get past it. The guy's dead. He's deceased. He's in the ground. Let it rest. I know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, why? Why? After all these years. Leave it alone. If the game, all games evolve, they're going to too many additions. It's just the way it is. I think they were more referencing the fact that they changed everything just so much to just push Gary out so it wasn't his game. How did they feel about that? And they didn't really well, seem to care, mostly. You know, I'll be honest with you. If it comes down to anything, if it was a slap in the face, is that they didn't use Greyhawk as the campaign setting. Well, could you blame? Well, he was out, and can you blame TSR? They were trying to get away from him as far as possible. So they did. Uh, well, you know, that whole regime, I, they had issues. But then again, like I said, hey, that, that is how business works and everything. They wanted something new. They wanted something fresh. You know, it's like getting that new, you know, like the new Coca-Cola. Remember when they had the new formula for it? Yeah. And people, you know, revolted. They resisted and everything. Oh, I mean, like, I'm looking like, it's just Coke. Crystal clear Pepsi? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Never. Did they have a crystal clear Pepsi? Yes, they did. Crystal Pepsi. I never knew, you know. I never knew that. It didn't last long. Never question the power of nostalgia. (laughs) That's what it. That's what it comes down. I mean, you remember Tab? Yes. Did y'all drink Tab? They still sell Tab. Yeah, you can still get Tab if you just have to look for it, but you can find it. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's I like Tab, but you know, I'm not a soda drinker really per se, but. No, it's just like it's old school. When people say they talk about old sodas, I say, well, if you haven't had a tab, you're not old school. Yeah, true. Yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah I'm just I'm surprised yeah. they even brought that stuff up. Was is that all you played was Villains of Vigilantes? Uh yeah. Because by the time I signed up for the convention, it was like faster than a Gen Con sign up. Uh-huh. How many people went this year? Uh I think it was around 150 to 200. Oh, that's kind of small. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really small convention, mm-hmm. but they actually get the big names to come. They had uh, uh, Janelle Jacques was there. Oh yeah, how did she do? Oh, wonderful! She's such a such a wonderful person to talk to. I, I saw some pictures of you. You did? 
Yeah, I saw some pictures online. People were posting pictures, and I think it was the Jeff D game with the Villains of Vigilantes. I believe it's what it was because I believe you were sitting on the right side. I forgot what you was wearing, but I, you was you had your glasses on. Yeah, I was right next to Jeff, probably. Yeah, I think that's where you was at. See, I remember that. See, I saw. Yeah, that guy kept taking pictures, which was annoying. But anyway, <laughs> I saw Glenn was down there too. Yeah, yeah, me and Glenn played in the same game for that. Uh... Did he have a black eye still? No, it was gone. <laughs> he, had a, he had a shiner. Yeah, he was wearing his Indiana Jones hat at the time. <gasps> That's right. I saw him there. I saw a live feed there, and he was walking by, but I don't know what he was doing. The, the live feed only carried the video, but no sound, which was lame. You know, though, I think K&K provided that, didn't they? I don't know. I know the K&K had their own meetup room, and it had, had beer and pizza in it. <laughs> <laughs> so besides that, you had no other issues down there, huh? No, I got invited to a Tim Cass game, um, but at that time I really didn't want to go and play. I was just tired at that point. Yeah. And Glenn wanted to play Marvel, so I'm like, all right, let's just play Marvel instead. You know what? I'll I'll, I'll make it an effort to come down next year. I'll, I'll put that on my schedule. Oh, and Full On Gamer made his way down. Oh, oh ba- yeah, yeah. He made a battle tech with him. Cool. Huge How'd that turn out? Massive table. He started at. Uh, about one o'clock, no, a little bit before one o'clock, and we left. I left that night at quarter to eleven, and he he was still playing the same game from that one o'clock in the morning. Oh, after- ah, that's too long. Well, the whole point was to get to the top of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, like I said, that's too long of a game for me. <laughs> they had people tagging in and out of the game. Like it was one group in the in the morning, then it was another group, then another group, and then another group. Finally. Yeah. I asked him. He finally called it like one in the morning. I think. Wow. He only made up three fourths of the way of the mountain. So <laughs> I was like, "Jeez, <laughs> that's funny." I was like, "Next time, let's shorten that a little." He's like, "No way. It's the it's the called Blood Mountain for nothing." <laughs> yeah, old BattleTech. I love that. We did a demo of that uh, at Enflod, and like I said, we just do the demo games, do the the nuts and bolts, and like we were mm-hmm. talking about today about rules and mechanics. The whole point of doing the demo is just show people how they move, how they fire, and you know play you know about an hour's worth. Yeah. And then you know if you want to get into a little bit more, then this is what you need to have, and you know we sell out, and that's how we play this new Call to Arms Star Trek game. Mm-hmm. It's like hotcakes. It's unbelievable. Hmm. Unbelievable. And I, I'll cover that stuff uh, during the session when we talk because it covers rules and mechanics. I wish they would make an actual really good Star Trek role-playing game yeah. finally. Yeah. I mean, it's been ignored for the longest time. Yeah, yeah I don't know how that's going to change. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. And you know what? I, I, if you saw me post on I should post this on the site on the 40% sale that I'm having at the store. Uh, we're selling a lot of stuff for 40%, and it's a lot of the old-school yeah. stuff. So if people want to buy it, this is your chance to get it. This is stuff that has never sold. Uh, and what I'm saying is he may have had multiple copies of it, mm-hmm. but, well, you, you know, but there's ex- some stuff that's never sold. For example, what would be something that he's selling? Well, uh, I mean, for example, there's a couple of Green Ronin products. And uh, we had duplicates of those. We sold all of them, but we just could never sell that last copy. <laughs> Like anything from the 80s or... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I apologize. Let's see here. No, it's going back the last five, six years, at least okay. six, seven years. Wow. So let me give an example. Like all the exped- Expeditious Retreat modules, they mm-hmm. never sold. We couldn't even sell one of them. So we're selling all of those things for 40% off. Hmm. 
Mm. Okay. I mean, the stuff just did not sell. It was not popular. People didn't care for it. And, and you know, let's just be realistic. There's only one first edition AD&D, and they want first edition AD&D modules. Right. You know, that's what they want. They don't want uh, facsimiles of a clone. They, they're just not attracted to that. It's just not a well, common thing here. If they want it, if you're giving it to them for free. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know how that goes. I yeah, mean, gamers will take anything if it's free, especially. In multiples, just so they can have it. <laughs> I would say yeah. if, they, if they were selling those things for like a dollar or two, I'd be interested in getting them. Yeah, see, like right now they're going for forty percent. So he he's selling them. You know, he, like I said, he's going to get rid of the stuff. And uh, I mean, for example, like Gary Gygax's Canting Crew. As oh. soon as I put that picture up, it was gone in five minutes. Give a link for the website or. I'll 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 get it up there. It's not a link to the website. It's actually a link to a picture that I took. I went to the gaming store, and I said, you know what? Can I do? So I saw forty percent off. I saw a lot of the old stuff, like the Osric crap and all that stuff. Yeah. I went ahead and took a picture of all that, and just post up there. And said, this is forty percent off. What you see is what you get. Forty percent off. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll hook you all up. Cool. 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 Uh, all right. Yeah, that's fine. We'll yeah. put it in the forums, and Matt, you make. Uh, just direct the uh, podcast notes to that if you can. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to be funny and everything. You know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I'll, uh, when I did a, I did an interview with Drive Through RPG at uh, Origins, and they hinted at something that we they've been talking with two old school companies, very big names that have not been around for a while that will be coming back later this year. Oh, I I know who. I I there's two of them. There's one. I yeah, there, yeah, two. I cuz I know the one as well. I don't know the other one and I couldn't get it out of them. Well, I'll Expeditious Retreat is not an old name. I was thinking them for one. Right. But the way they were talking it was like big huge names and I'm just like, "Hmm." I was Well, kinda... the one we already know but we can't say cuz we're Right. nd 8 on that one. Yeah. That. Uh, but let's try to let's try to guess what the, the other name would be. Right, I'm like, someone got like the old West End stuff. No, yeah. that's on lock and key. Eric will not give that. Okay, up. I, I know the owner of West End. Okay, he's not selling the company for any amount of money. People mm-hmm. have offered him ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand for the name, and he. Won't oh no 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 no! He's not going to spend. He's not. No, they're going to have to offer him some like seven figures. Oh yeah, someone will have he's to. He's sitting on a gold mine. He's not sitting on a gold mine. It's just a company name at this point. Yeah. He, all the product for West End Game has been sold off. He the sold it off? Every piece of it. Then get rid of the title. Who needs a title? What's good as a title if you don't have the product? The only thing I think West End Game still owns is, was it Jumanja or Jumanja? What was the name of that game? Jumanji? That and uh, Torg. Uh-huh. Uh. Those are the only two titles that are still listed as product on the West End Games, and he owns both those. Well, hmm. blah to that. Yeah, what I if, know he's a good guy, but he's not giving up the company. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> hmm. What What if someone got some of the old Mayfair stuff that wasn't Rollades, like Chill or some stuff like that? Okay, now I can tell you this: that Chill is probably going to be re-released, and that's. I think there's some issues out there. I'm hearing from two different parties concerning. Mm-hmm. I talked to Steve Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Who actually was the creator of the old chill when they was at Pace Setter? Yeah, 
Then they made the new edition. I don't think Steve Sullivan, I think, uh, you know, I'm, and don't take this for granted because I'm certain that's how I read it. Uh, it's a financial issue as, as trying to get back that game back into print. But I also spoke to Bill Barsh, who has mentioned before that they're looking into re-releasing Chill. There's, there's, there's something going on out there. I don't know what it is, but I, I do know Chill would love to see a re-release of the old material. Yeah. Well, let's see other companies. Well, Mayfair obviously is still in business, but they're in board game business now. Right, most. and Mayfair, that's actually Iron Crown Productions bought Mayfair, which in turn turned into Mayfair, the board game company. So they're actually Iron Crown. Right, so we'll forget about them. I was thinking when you said that maybe Fossa, but... Yeah, because, well... Battletech and Shadowrun, they're locked up because Topps owns the license. Do they now? Yeah. Uh, Catalyst Game Labs actually licensed yes. Battletech and Shadowrun from Topps because WizKids bought that. That's right. And then Topps. WizKids, Mech Warrior, and all that crap. Yep. Yeah. WizKids actually owned it. Then they yep. were bought by Topps. When Topps uh, dissolved WizKids, they kept all the intellectual property. The whiz kids that restarted only got the hero clicks and like the That's pocket right. models. They did yep. not get Battletech and they did not get Shadowrun. And they didn't get pirates either. No. Don't, don't they own Robotech too? Uh no, Robotech oh. is Harmony Gold, owns oh. it, and they license it to Palladium. Yeah, and there's a big issue going on now with that stuff because there was another game supposed to come out and they was trying to get with uh Simbera from Palladium. Yeah. And that all blew up. Uh, yeah, that Palladium's was Palladium's yeah. a wacky, wacky, wacky company. That's all I can say. Well, I feel sorry for the guy because his partner took all that money. Oh, and I took all the money, but sold all that product? Right, yeah. There were, yeah it was like $100,000. Oh, my God, it was horrible. Like, yeah. Then it just really hurt the company bad. But it seemed like they recovered. But there's always something. There's always someone... In that group that has some sort of like cancer or just like their house burned down, it's just like they're cursed in some ways. I mean, so it's just. I wonder if it's Gygax games. Hmm. Oh. Because I was talking to Gail recently about a couple things, and she's like, "Just look out on the horizon for something," and that's all she told huh, me. That's a possibility. So- I don't know if maybe she was just saying it to throw me off or get rid of me or something, but right. maybe that's the company. But that's not really a big, big, you know, I guess Gygax. So it could right, be, yeah. Maybe drive through considers that's a big name. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this, though, that I know that uh, Bill Webb bought Necromancer Games. Okay. And bought- that now falls under Frog God Games, so now they're together as a company. About time. So what's going to happen is it's no surprise to me that Bill Webb, hopefully, if it all works out fine, hopefully they'll re-release everything that that, that came under the old Necromancer games and gets that all released for Pathfinder. And, of course, if they release it for Pathfinder, they're going to release it for Swords and Wizardry, hopefully. Yeah. On the, um, the Tri-Tac system. The Tri-Stat? Tri-Stat system. Oh, Guardians of Order, that's... They're yeah. long defunct. That's I know. That. Maybe that's another. Maybe that's another company to consider. No, the way they were sounding, it was like big names of the '80s. That's 
I'll put a link to the interview so people can just read the exact quote itself. Yeah, well, but and it, but yeah, it seemed like they were talking big games of the eighties. Well, it could be a board game company too, for all we know. True, maybe they got they're going to do print and play of all the Avalon Hill board games. Oh, they already done that, my friend. They already done that. I mean, the only one that's left right now is Fortress America, and that's supposed to be released here in the next well, month or so. No, I'm talking about like the old uh, bookshelf games. Oh, those? those? Good lord! Yeah, if I'm like weird enough, I would actually kind of enjoy that, especially when it comes to having an ability to print out replacement parts for just the, oh, if yeah. I'm missing a chit or something. I would so rebuy the games in electronic format just for that. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, let's just go on to Sage Advice. Let's not speculate about that anymore. Master! Master! They're at the gates again! Master! It looks like another band of adventurers! Adventurers? Again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. I mean, they're still around. So yeah, this they're is, still around. This is someone that's coming back. Well, let me tell you, that company is, is, is trading some serious water right now, my friend. Yeah. They're hurting. Hmm. Okay, I'm recording, so we're ready for Sage Advice whenever. So, five, four, three, two. Sage Advice. All right, this week we have a couple emails, and you can email staff at gmail.com. Oracle 570-865-4210 for the hotline. First email up this week comes in from John into DM Will, but Will spelled with one L. So I guess you're Will Wheaton now. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) He says, in podcast 77, you mentioned how awesome WG5 Morton Kami's Fantastic Adventure was. I've recently been searching for it and I've never had a chance to play it. My question to you, have you played WG-6, Isle of the Apes, and how does it compare to WG-5, John? Whoa, awesome question. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, Morden Kanan's fantastic adventure is it's just an awesome adventure, great dungeon. There is just some good stuff in there. Isle of the Ape ran that one, two, three, four, seven, eight, nine times. During that time period, Isle of Ape is, uh, is a decent module. I don't think it's as great as Mordekane's Greatest Adventure. I, I, uh, I just don't think it is. It, it, you know, the, the ape itself, he's huge. He's gigantic. And he will he'll waylay a party. Did, did none of you all play this module before? I've no. never played it, no. Oh, okay, okay. It's, you know, basically, I, I remember when it first came out, it wasn't a top-selling module to begin with because when I went to the store, they had three there. I bought one, and it stayed there forever. It's a, it is it is a decent adventure. It, it's an outdoors adventure. That's one good thing that Morden Canaan's was not because that was all inside the dungeon there and everything, and, and you know, dealing with all that stuff and all the horrible traps and everything. But the Isle of the Ape was mostly an outdoor adventure and everything. You have to deal with all that stuff. But overall, it's still a decent adventure, but it's not one of my favorites. Okay. 
I mean, I, I, great modules, great modules. If you can tie them all in together and everything, I, you know, I wish I knew about this email. I would have got down and po point out some of the highlights in there. But uh, I believe there was a way that you did not, you didn't have to actually fight the giant ape on there. I, I even forgot how many hit points he has. I believe he has three hundred fifty, if I remember correctly. Did right you hundred? Didn't you do a review of WG five on our forums? No, not yet. As a matter of fact, I'm working on the UK series as we speak now because I want to get those done. This will take about a week to get those done, and then I want to work to the U series. But I have no problem doing the uh, the WG series because a lot of people have been asking about those particular line of modules, and I will gladly go in great detail with uh, Isle of the Ape. And if no one has read them, if you go to our OSRGaming.org forums, Will does an in-depth breakdown analysis of it and he'll break it down and tell you what he thinks about each section what how to do improve it and everything and his thoughts on what to do here and there what's wrong what's right you know it's a really good really good breakdown yeah i try my best to it especially when someone gives me advice on, on those particular type of modules especially the ones that are rarely run or a lot of people have never seen in their entire life i mean they're great modules some of them need some you know some serious you know rewriting on them just just do what you got to do but you know either way just uh the, the thing with Isle of Ape though I'm telling you you got to read that module you got to keep track of the players from when they're moving from point A to point B to point C because there can be a lot of confusion in it because that's almost like a, it's not really too much of a railroad per se but it, you know if the players need to go north and they decide to go east well then you got to work that way around mm. okay uh sure good to go Next one comes in from DM Dan. Now, RFI, hi, RFI hosts. Have any of you adventured in is that Lankmar City of Adventure? Am I pronouncing that right? Lankmar, L-A-N-K-H-M-A-R? Yeah, yes. This was, a wonderful, uh, this was a wonderful resource book that was used in an adventuring group when I was back in the early 90s. I would hope you would consider doing a segment about it and the places to go, people to meet, and things to do. This is the best place there was... I'm oh, sorry, the best place it was was the Rat's Nest, as well as running into the infamous Thieves' Guild and Assassin's Guild that controlled the city. Thanks, DM Dan. I have never played, and I, like I said, I've never been a module person. All the DMs I had were always homebrew DMs. Oh. So, yeah, I missed out on all the modules growing up. Yeah, it's like I have a couple modules in Lankmar, but they're all second edition ones. I've never actually played in it, though. Wow. Well, I do have all the Lankmar stuff downstairs and everything, and uh, I mean, I didn't. I mean, just it's, it's like, great supplemental material. Is it first edition or is it second edition? Uh, first edition. Lankmar City of Adventure was uh, out in 1985. Okay. Yeah, that's old school stuff right there. That's right. old stuff. It was updated in '93 for second edition, and then in 2006, Mongoose took Lankmar. And made it part of Rune's Quest. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Where was the Gray Mouser? Uh, uh, is that a superhero? The, no. the, the New Adventures of Fahar and the Gray Mouser, uh, that was a box set that replaced the Lankmar City of Adventure. That was That's what I thought. The Gray Mouser and, and Fafford or whatever, whatever his name is is in there, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was an introductory box set, wasn't it? It had, like, very basic rules in it for sex and edition. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, a simplified uh, beginner's uh, box set. So it was like anyway, sure, we'll, we'll pull out the uh, Lankmar City of Adventure and do maybe a little analysis on it or something. 
Yeah. I have no problem with that and everything. Like I said, it's, 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 it's mostly if I used any of that material, it's for supplemental material only and everything. But I never actually ran a true Lankmar uh, campaign of any kind. But there is a lot of material mm-hmm. out for that. Uh, yeah. uh, at least two dozen. I, I would say at least two dozen. Mm-hmm. Oh, not two dozen. Maybe a good dozen, a dozen and a half supplements. Yeah. And then it was also actually first a board game, though. There was a Lankmar board game released by TSR in 1976. Yeah, that stuff's old. Yeah, because you played the Grey Mouser, Molvar, Movarl, uh, Fahard, and uh, Hulk. <laughs> uh, as I totally butcher all the names, and you lead the forces of one of the powers of Nuhon in an effort to capture the opponent's citadels. Use the force, man. Yes. No. Enunciate. <laughs> conjugate the verbs. Well, you can't. You know, conjugate and enunciate when you, when they when they ain't got no vowels inside the right. name. We yes, we will have a six letter name. There should only be one vowel. The rest will all be consonants. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but I have no problem talking about Lankmar. Lankmar has a lot to offer. If, like I said, if you do a sand sandbox thing and you're not do using any particular campaign setting, I could we could talk about Lankmar. That's a lot of material in Lankmar. Okay. Yep. God. Words and names. I, I forgot about that. You just flashed me back to when I was at Gen Con last year sitting down at a game and some guy claimed that he wrote the book on how to speak Romulan language. I was like, oh, God. Uh, Kapla! Oh, that's Klingon. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never could understand those people. He like showed me some book that he hand wrote and everything, and it was like every word was like a thousand consonants with no vowels in it. And I was like, how the hell you pronounce that? <laughs> well, you know how bad it is, is that uh, when, uh, oh, this was so long ago that I went to this one convention. There was a guy that everything he put down, oh, that was college. That was what it was when I went to that game convention. There was a guy that went to college, and every time he put a date on his homework, he would put down star date and then put down the star date number and everything. I said, dude, you need to stop that mess. Oh, I can't stand them. I bet the teacher really loved that. Oh, I, I, I Got there's something wrong with Trekkies. No offense, I love Star Trek, but I'm not a Trekkie. I can say I'm, I'm a Trekkie, but I wouldn't be go as far as dressing up and you know putting Star date on my paperwork. Well, it was classic when you know William Shatner told him to go get a life. <laughs> yes, that was. He, yeah. he was telling the truth. He was getting mad at that point. Yeah, he was. I don't know. Mm. Last one comes in from just SP. And he basically says, Wicked Podcast. He must be from Boston. Wicked. For the Wicked. <laughs> he basically says, you know, our personalities remind him of some of the guys used to play back with in his game. He says we should get a chick on the show. And that's how he wrote it. A chick. For at least one episode to recount her first dealings with RPGs and gamers. Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we can get some hosts, I mean, you know, some guest uh, guest people here, you know, that are females. And uh, that's funny because uh, not too long ago on Facebook, I should send you all the link to this. This was very interesting that there was a uh, a young lady. She set up a Kickstarter so she could do some research on women and the, the gaming industry or, you know, gaming in general yeah. and so on. And it was, you know, I... I I saw the comments left behind, and it was absolutely stunning how people treated her. It was horrible. Really? Yeah. 
I have no idea what these people were thinking or what they was trying to prove. This lady was just trying to do some research on how gaming and, and, and women in gaming throughout the years what and did, the stereotypes and all that. Oh, it was just... Go ahead, go ahead. What did she need money for to do research? Well, I don't know what... Well, it was just a Kickstarter, and it wasn't like it was, she was one in tens of thousands of dollars. It was to help do some of the traveling expenses and and. And all this other stuff that required her to do research and meet with people because for some people it costs money. I have no clue. I didn't read the whole thing into it. But it was just, uh, I see where she was trying to go, but it was just that her audience was horrible. It, it was like yeah. they treated her very poorly. Yeah, I've heard similar experiences from some female friends of mine that had uh, played in RPG sessions or game sessions at conventions. They will go there, they'll play their game, and the other guys there will assume hey, that they don't know the rules. Oh, you're just here because of your boyfriend or whatever. It's like I mm. I've never grasped that either. It was just I'm like, really? There's Yeah. Uh, I had a group that was all female and it was me and my friend that were the only guys in it before. So Yeah. It it was funny with my current RPG group. It was actually originally the group was gathered by a female friend of mine. And the other guys in it had told me after she had uh She'd moved to New York and left the group that when the, we first started gaming together, they had no idea how to game with a girl. And I'm like, why would it be different than gaming with a guy? <laughs> that, I'm just like, I was I that type of mindset never even crossed my brain. I'm just like, I never thought of treating a, gaming with a girl different than gaming with a guy. Okay, and he goes on to talking about the planes. That was his first episode that we did. Thinks we should probably go back and touch upon it again. Obviously, we weren't done with it. We were just, you know, revisiting it yet again. That was uh, our that was our second visit to the planes. I'm we, glad to go back for a third visit. Yeah, we did one a long time ago with Jeff Grubb when he was on the podcast. We talked about the planes, which was a fun show to do. Jeff, uh, Jeff, and uh, and uh, Jason geeked out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you met, or was you not? Were you around? Then? Uh, no, I didn't come around till uh, issue twenty-seven. I think that was like nineteen or seventeen or something like that. Uh, no, I know Nick was around because Nick was also in the geek yeah. out. It's just like you know, I like Jeff Grubb and his work, but I wasn't geeking out over the planes. Yeah, uh, he did his usual thing, you know, go against the Norse and Greek gods, you know, talk about the devil, angel, devil intrigue, and then he says, "Keep up with the good work." Can't wait to listen to more shows, and then he puts a link to. Uh, Roll. He put like a D six, but it's roll a D six. That video, that song. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the the short lived intro for Save or Die. Yeah, we actually used it for a while for Save or Die because it was so funny. But uh, yeah, thanks for the link. We we like that song. And that's all the advice we have this week. I guess we'll head into Dale Matters. Okay. Yeah, I remember back in the day. A fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell ya, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn ya. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach ya some. Table Manners. And now we're in Table Manners in this show? We're going to have a more sci-fi feel to it because we're going to t- actually discuss using first edition AD&D rules, but using it for a sci-fi game. Actually right. reskinning the system, the characters, the monsters, the items, and 
playing something with a more sci-fi feel because really if you strip away all the fantasy it's still a really good game system and you shouldn't feel pigeonholed by fantasy just because that's the coat of paint they put on it it's very easy to reskin these things and oh yeah uh, will you can't talk for 10 minutes because the last podcast everyone complained it was 75 percent will so (laughs) that's why i'm not saying nothing They said on Facebook it was 75% Will, 25% the rest of the cast. So Will, That didn't sound right. I know. He was he was joking about that. But <laughs> I know he was. That's why I was laughing. I must say, well, next time I promise I won't say nothing. <laughs> Go ahead, Adam. But anyways, <laughs> but first we're just going to talk about the character classes. I mean, when you think fighter, thief, cleric, magic user, monk, and assassin, you don't necessarily think sci-fi right away i mean some of them lend themselves more easier than others like the fighter can easily just be a soldier in some space military or just like the general thug at a bar it real that really doesn't change the fighter you you don't really need to do a lot to make that sci-fi um as for like the thief i could easily see the thief instead yeah they had they can disable all these traps and pick locks in but in a sci-fi game, they're all electronic. He's really good about disabling electronic devices, sneaking around, avoiding detection th- in regards to these sci-fi devices. Again, it's it's a fairly straightforward conversion. Um, if we go to like some of the uh, subclasses like the assassin, assassin's another easy one. It's a spy who goes and assassinates people. They have those in sci-fi as well. It's not something... You're only going to see in a fantasy realm. And they would still be using poison instead of being like herbal concoctions or more chemical based. And maybe he has to stick a syringe into the person to inject them. Or uh, he could upload a virus somewhere. Yeah. He could, yeah. You not even think about uh, just people, computers, uploading viruses as well. I mean, you could even throw that into with the thief just use some of the percentiles for disabled device he's disabling a computer system by uploading a virus that's the fleshing out mm-hmm. now when you get to your magic user and cleric however depends on what type of sci-fi you want do you want to have like a jedi type then it's pretty easy to do use clerics and magic users if you want to have that mystical universal power that certain people train in and that they can use it's pretty easy to explain away if you have, like, the Force. The Schwartz. The Schwartz. Yes. May the Schwartz be with you. And also, at that point, you also have your magic items as well. So you'll have your Schwartz rings that all the all of them will have and do battle with. Well, I was thinking for, for mage, uh, magic user, and, and cleric, you can just say they're high-tech or devices. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was thinking. Instead of that, every night spending hours studying their books... They're building things. Yeah, they're build, building little these little devices that are just one-off devices. Their spell components are actually the parts to build it, and their spell book is just a book of blueprints. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Can I say something? Sure. You're not allowed to say just, Let me add just, just my 2% here. Okay. Uh, Babylon 5. Have you all watched Babylon 5? Uh, yeah, I have. Do you I remember have. the episode with the Technomagus? Yes. With the uh, the ball headed guy, that was Michael and Sarah. He played a phenomenal tech, uh, techno mage, and 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 it was funny how he explained how the magic and the technology, 
the science fiction technology works together to create the magic. It was really interesting. Right. Right. You could even take it into like a shadow run type. Yeah. As well. I say, look to Shadowrun for really good examples how to transfer fantasy over to sci-fi. Right. Yeah, because they even have demi-human races. You have your trolls, you have your elves, you have your dwarves, and and that blends actual magic with technology. Mm-hmm. It just really depends on what's your sci-fi flavor of choice, and you could easily build from there. Yeah, true. It yeah. all depends on what you want to do. I mean, most people will probably grab like a Shadowrun type game because that's the easiest, or maybe Cyberpunk. Yeah. I forgot all about them. Just thinking about Cyberpunk might be a good idea to look at too. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And But if you wanted to pull out the magical elements, it's possible. It's not that hard with a little bit of thought. I mean. Right. With, now, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, now that we kind of graced upon that, how do you explain races? Well, races, different. you could easily say different planets. Mutations? Yeah, you could do mutations as well. It depend just depends on do you want if you want to involve space travel, all the different races have their own planet. There's a planet of dwarves, there's a planet of elves, there's a planet of half el- well the half world elves are the crossbreeds when the elves went out to the world and started breeding on other planets. It's easy to explain that or if you want to go with a more a shadow run cyberpunk post-apocalyptic type experience yeah mutations yeah basically people with pointy ears are just humans that mutated into something a little more different to have like an extra ability they can hear better or something right you could see uh yeah you could even seek some uh ideas from the riffs that's both by palladium yeah yeah yep i mean there's lots of examples of it and so it's not going to be hard it's just I think the biggest thing is, what is your sci-fi flavor of choice? Do you want interplanetary travel, or do you want to focus more on one planet and have it be high-tech, low-magic, high-tech, high-magic? I mean, there's different options. Or you could just grab Gamma World. Yeah. (laughs) True. Uh Yeah. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people haven't really played Gamma World. I know a lot of people haven't even heard of Gamma World back then, so... I don't have it, but I do have the Gamma Marauders board game. Okay. Based off Gamma World. That's cool. Yeah, I haven't actually played it, though. It was put out by TSR, of course, and I found it at Half Price Books for like 10 bucks. I'm like, this is um, interesting. (laughs) But you basically have your, like, mutant creatures, and you're doing battle in Gamma World. I was busy. When Gamma World was out, I was busy playing Twilight 2000. Ah. So that was my post-apocalyptic world type thing going on. Yeah, and and re- really, you, you could even do something like a Twilight Two Thousand with these rules too. Uh-huh. It's not yep. super sci-fi, but it is post-apocalyptic. You could easily do like a Mad Max game with the rules. I mean, it's it's really the biggest hurdle is your genre of sci-fi. Yeah, however you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, because then just okay, the, cool. Yeah, I mean, just to hit on like some of the other classes, I like the paladin. I see that as like a commissioned soldier, and his healing ability is the little doohickeys. Whatever group he works for, gave him to heal. Republic Guard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. So don't let the fantasy 
overwhelming fantasy of D&D dissuade you from trying out a, a sci-fi game? Well, I, this is, I like to add this part down, you know, since we're talking about, you know, characters and types of gear and everything. Remember Expedition into the Barrier Peaks? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the greatest examples of how you can get a group of characters that is all fantasy-related go into this mysterious structure of this strange door that's made of metal and then encountering all the alien weaponry, the alien armor, the uh, and, and all the technology and everything. Of course, you know, you have to word it in a, in a, in a way to where that's how the player characters are going to imagine it. For example, you don't tell them that you just found a laser gun. You know, you just tell them this device. And, you know, that is a great module right there to give a a player who's thinking of trying to, you know, get a science fiction feel to a fantasy-related game. And from there on, he can branch out and root out says, I like this. I'm going to make a flow chart. But, you know, on how to operate certain things. And, of course, if you all remember the old flow charts, if you you found a weapon or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if you roll the wrong number, you blow up, or you get, you know, whatever, disintegrated. But look into that, and I would also say look into Star Frontiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Star- yeah. yeah, because Star Frontiers uses the same rules, and we're going to cover this real soon, for, you know, D&D. Right. And then during uh, Fantasy Flight actually put out Dragon Star, which was like sci-fi mixed with fantasy. They yes. Ha- so you could even pull that and wouldn't take much to convert that to first edition either. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's also um, you can grab the um, the clone. What's the clone? Uh, Mutant Future too, as well. Yeah. Paranoia. What? I thought you was talking about paranoia. Paranoia too, as well. Yeah. But Mutant Future, and you can pick up the Thunder of the Barbarian uh, supplement that came out. That is perfect for sci-fi fantasy that someone did for free. I can't think of the Savage Worlds blog, I think it's called. He put out the Thunder Barbarian Supplement. So you can go look that up. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I guess that wraps that up. <laughs> Since Will said the okay, that means we're going to go into game. No, 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 no. It was actually pretty good there. I was thinking about that. What was that one show where those people rode the dinosaurs? Oh, Land of the Lost? No, 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 not Land of the Lost. It was a cartoon. Oh, yeah. they they had the pterodactyl that shot bullets. No, they had that. Flintstones? Uh... No, 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 no. It, it was. Uh... Oh my lord, what was it called again? You all know what I'm talking about. They had two stupid monsters that looked like Jello monsters. Then they had the pterodactyl. They had the the, the rock Hercul- monkey. Herculoids. Herculoids. That was um, what it was. Yes. <laughs> That was way before Matt's time. Yeah, I'm like, I yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. You've never heard of the Herculoids? Oh, uh, Herculoids. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have heard of them. I haven't watched it, but I have. I now that yeah, I have heard of Herculoids. <laughs> me, you, me and you, Will, we're really old then, huh? Yeah, we're. I'm, I'm only two years stuff. younger than you, Vince. Well, that's right. Yeah. I was hoping you would say you was two years younger than me, but now thank you for reminding me that I'm old. <laughs> Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, game mechanics up next, and that'll be Will talking. Oh man, what the heck is that? 
Stand aside, you fool! I have a spell that will work here! What do you mean I can't hit with that? All oh, right, fine. Show it to me in the book. Welcome to Game Mechanics. Yes, and today on Game Mechanics, we're going to talk about what kind of rules to change and what kind of rules to design when it, when it comes to uh, converting a fantasy game into a science fiction game. Uh, what do you take into consideration? And guys, you can jump in at any time I'm talking. Because I, I know that y'all have some input in this as well. Okay, woo! You know, when this episode came up and everything, we talked about what rules to change. And I take a look at D&D and I said, like, I want to make a science fiction game. What would I change? Well, personally, I'm, I'm just going to tell you straight right now. If I wanted to create a science fiction game based on first edition rules, I would get rid of magic as a whole. Okay. I would also get rid of clerical spells because when it comes to science fiction, we're dealing with a whole spectrum of weird things. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the clerical spells, for example. I think that if you had characters that were, and you know, this is going to sound kind of weird. Uh, let's say characters got exposed to some type of radioactivity and then that gave them the ability to now heal people. See, that's how I would, you know, substitute that process there when it comes to them kind of rules. So no longer would there be rules con concerning deities and given the cleric spells. These uh, characters that have these healing abilities, one, either get it from a, that they was, you know, exposed to, to a certain type of radiation, or two, they are a race that are naturally imbued with that special ability to heal. And so in cases like that, you would have to design new rules for a healing type of class to replace the cleric, the priest, uh, maybe even the paladin, for example, to have some minor healing abilities. So that would be some of the rules I would change on, on that per se. Well, a cleric, you could probably say he's uh, a medical doctor or some type. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and mm -hmm. you know, you could do it like that, too, as well. Definitely. Uh, you know, and, and what I'm trying to do is not try to replace the whole fantasy element of the uh, of the of the game itself. I mean, th th this can go into great detail. So let's start from this. I would look at a lot of the other science fiction games, Star Trek, and then you brought a great example of it or Star Wars, where you had your medical doctors or you had uh, medical droids or something like that yes that's easy to say or if you look at Battlestar Galactica or even yeah. Buck Rogers and everything I mean look at Battlestar Galactica when you look at that compared to those other shows I'm thinking like wow those guys in Battlestar Galactica were really primitive compared you know to like Star Trek and Star Wars and Buck Rogers I mean Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica could be up on the same on the same level as far as technology and everything so I look at the rules and everything. When you do a game, like say, well, how will, and, and like you said, Matt, if this is interstellar travel and everything, how would they travel around? So now we have to take a look at what kind of technology is available to the, these races and everything. Traveler. Have you all played Traveler before? Traveler, yeah. 
Okay, in Traveler, they don't have warp capability. No, they don't. They don't have that warp tech, uh, capability like they did in Star Trek. And in Star Wars, I don't really think they had warp capability, did they? They, they had hyperdrives. They, yes, I don't know what the difference is between... Well, hyperdrive hyper- is more like just taking like an expressway. Yeah, it's like... It's not like they're traveling from... Oh, how could I say it? From one system to another. The systems might have been very close. I mean, it's like traveling... I don't know. It's kind of hard to well, explain that. It... It's well, a warp drive is you're in point A, you instantaneously go to point B. A hyperdrive, however, takes you A all the way to B. You travel along the path at a very high rate of speed. Oh, okay. So it, it's the difference between yeah. being there instantaneously and actually have to travel. With a hyperdrive, you can travel across the universe, but it's still going to take some time. Yeah. Whereas with a warp drive, you're instantaneously there. Yeah, so it's one of those things, you know, and, and of course, if the distance was longer as far as warp drive was concerned, it would take longer to get there. The same thing as hyperdrive. I think the only reason they changed these these words and everything is for copyright and all that other stuff, you know, and all that stuff. But, like, you know, Battlestar Galactica, I don't recall any of that in there, and neither did I recall that in Buck Rogers. So, you know, it, it all depends on what kind of game do you want. Do you want a serious technological game where it's so advanced like Star Trek and Star Wars? I mean, even weapon-wise, I honestly can't tell you who was more powerful than the other as far as Star Wars or Star Trek is concerned. But I will tell you this, though. In Star Wars, their ships were larger. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Battlestar so, was, 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 was just jumps. They jumped from one sector to the next. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Battlestar Galactica, they just jumped, you know, from one place to another. It, it was really kind of, I'm not saying it's lame, but it was very primitive. But I know the ships in Star Wars were way huger than those in Star Wars because, I mean, yeah, in Star Trek, because I saw, uh, there's a chart online that you can look up. Them Super Star Destroyers are huge. Uh, yeah, they're, they're small planets yeah. in size. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I couldn't imagine how many people was on one of those compared to, like, like the Enterprise, which only had, like, you know, a 1,000 or something people on there, 1,100 yeah. people. Yeah, but it's yeah. like the SDF-1 from Robotech, <laughs> where, it, where it had, like, 50,000 people on it, that entire city. Yeah, see, that's exactly what the whole point is. So what rules to change, you know, what rules to design? So you have to go back to a lot of rules to say, what do I want? What do I want to use? What do I want to remove? How can I not make this like Star Wars or Star Trek? Well, I mean, it's difficult to do that because, I mean, I think almost everything has been covered science fiction-wise. Start with Star Frontiers. I think that is your best bet is to go to Star Frontiers by the basic box. I think there's like there were three box sets and there, and there was like some modules and some other stuff like that. Take a look into that, into Star Frontiers. One, the, the easy part is already done. Already it's been converted. It's already first edition rules applied, you know, as far as the stats, strength, condex, and all that. If, 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 I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, if I say otherwise, please correct me. But I believe that all the stats were still the same. Am I correct? Just about, yeah. Yeah, I figured it was. Because, I mean, there were some still things with movement, you know, and all this other stuff. And, you know, they had the different races. They had the Yazirians, the Dralocytes. Uh, what were the other ones again? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, I can't remember the names right now. I feel like I just forgot them. I, got, I, got the, I know what they looked like, but I can't remember the names right now. But you could still have humans. And I don't think they had any of the fantasy races, per se, like elves and dwarves and everything. But there's nothing wrong with doing that. The Dreadlights, the... Yeah, those are the shapeshifters. 
They had the insect race. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. And the race of apes, I can't pronounce it, the Uzerians. Yeah, yeah, the Uzerians were the flying monkey ones, but I couldn't remember the insect ones. Yeah, that's right. See, excellent, excellent. But start with there. Once you get a good feel for that, then jump to Spelljammer. And I think Spelljammer is the best place to start. And, I, and their way of traveling through the cosmos was unique compared to all the other uh, science fiction, you know, genres that I was talking about. If you all know about Spelljamming and Spelljamming ships. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if you all familiar with that, I don't know. Matt, what about you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have several. I have the two box sets and a few some of the other supplements for Spelljammers. And there you go. And right there, you have a very good base right there of creating your own science fiction game by looting stuff. Now, if you want to change the weapons around, and like I said, I mentioned before, Expedition into the Barrier Peaks, which, you know... It, it, for all intents and purposes, is a crashed spaceship, and the player characters are are examining or exploring this area, and uh, it's, it's kind of funny how the, the descriptions are given in there, not to, to lead off that it is a uh, you know a spaceship or what have you. But then uh, don't forget also the uh, the spaceship. I, I don't know if it was a spaceship per se, but I think that's what they called it in Q one Queen of the Demon Web Pits. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people forgot about that. I don't know if it's actually a spaceship, but they kind of describe it as a spaceship. They kept referring to it as a ship. Yeah, they keep referring to it as a ship, but I don't know if it's, she used that to travel around in the 666 layers or whatever she does with the, with the thing. But again, it's, it's, it's another ship. And there's a couple other adventures out there that has to deal with a spaceship. or so, uh, You know what? I'm trying to think of it, uh, Matt. Night of the Comet? I think. Was that the, what was that? Was that the uh, supplement? It was a box set, Night of the Comet. I'm just trying to think of it off the top of my lung. You know, oh my goodness, I can't remember what uh, it was. Oh. I'm not talking about the movie, but it was a there was a a D and D box set that has something to do with the comet, with a comet crashing down, and all oh, that stuff. Uh, what is that? So the whole point of what I'm trying to get to is what what rules the change? Well, like I said, it all depends on what kind of game you're trying to make. Are you trying to make it a very high advanced science fiction game or a low technical kind of science fiction game? Uh, like Alternatia. Now, I know a lot of people know about Alternity. It was a D20. This is where the return where uh, Wizard Coast wanted to bring a science fiction element game back into the D&D kind of setting you in those rules and they came up with alternity oh that's right yeah remember yeah. alternity and that was very interesting it was a great concept i don't have no problems with alternity as a science fiction rpg i thought it was really well done it just i don't know what it is this this is, i don't think know if there's a great demand for it or maybe people are tired of it or something but a lot of people didn't buy off into that alternative game which is kind of sad i thought it was pretty good uh gamma world was good you know take the best out of those games and try and convert it into something you know that that, that you would feel comfortable with but i think your best base is starting off with uh star frontiers then go to spell jammer as far as how to uh get around through the cosmos uh yeah you would have to get away from the the spell jamming you know ships and the uh the helmets, the spell jamming helms, right. and all that. Yeah, and because, yeah. 
Yeah, instead of making them propelled by magic, they're propelled by science. I mean, it's yes. not that hard of a fix. It's not hard at all. It's real simple. And it's going to take a lot of work. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not something that can be done in a day. This is something that will take a lot of time, especially if you're trying to design your own rules. And, and, and so, I mean, there, there, there would be so many things I would change. It would be impossible to discuss, you know, each change. But like I said, personally, there would be no more, you know, clerical spells per se. The DDs are not involved. We're talking about science fiction. And, and not to be, you know, you know, dismissive of religion in a science fiction game. But if, if you look at Star Trek and Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica, uh, Buck Rogers and, and, and most of those science fiction movies, you find out they're not, they don't even really talk about it. Well, uh, with Star Wars has the dark and light of the force. Right. That, so it, uh, you can kind of call that religion, and that's the closest they have really to religion. Yeah, I was going to get back to that, you know, when it comes to that. But again, I look at it as a force that is manipulated by special people that have that ability to manipulate that force. And yeah, I see what you're saying. Then I I saw the big thing on George Lucas and some people wrote the book on like it's an actual true religion. The moment it goes off the deep end like that, I, I avoid that kind of stuff. It is actually recognized as a religion in the UK, however. <laughs> they had enough people on the census put their religion as Jedi Knight that it became a real religion. Oh, my Lord. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at him. It's just the concept, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> they actually offer classes on it and everything. Say again? They offer classes on becoming a Jedi as well. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> A college here now in the United States that offers uh, a college degree in Jedi Meditation 101. You can learn the Jedi philosophies. You can learn how to meditate like a Jedi, how to fight like a Jedi, and how to control your inner anger and stuff like that. So, Okay. All right. I think I'll just stick to painting and putting miniatures together. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man, I tell you. But, you know, I, I look at all these games. Now, Babylon 5 had a very deep religious thing in there, if you all knew that. If you ever watched, if you watched Babylon 5, you, you get the, the feel for that stuff and everything. But definitely, yeah, I would, I would pull out the religious overtones out of the, the fantasy side, remove that completely from the, the science fiction element. Because in most cases, I'm just saying the science fiction element probably, uh, how can I say it? dismisses that knowledge as you know just being mythology and so on like there but of course nothing wrong saying that you know that you can still have those elements inside the game nothing wrong with saying that that would make a special type of race that would do that that they that's how they would channel their 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 energy right you could have some primitive races that they have it more of a divine uh power source if you will so see now what i look also into call of cthulhu okay Call of Cthulhu because if uh, a lot of people don't know that much about Call of Cthulhu as far, how would that apply in a science fiction game? Well, it applies a lot because if you're looking to it, most of them are alien entities. 
mind flayers, aboleths, uh, Cthulhu himself, all of them are alien entities. They're alien entities. I, I don't consider them supernatural. That's how, you know, and it's kind of weird how you look into this stuff and everything about rules change and what rules design. Look at that system, as a matter of fact, with Call of Cthulhu. That would make for a very interesting science fiction game using that kind of rules on their mechanics. I think it'd be more simpler than first edition AD&D, honestly, if you look at Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Uh, really, I would really look at that. And if you take a look at those weapons, they hardly could do any damage to those alien entities and everything, you know, like the guns and the shotguns. They really don't have no impact on it. So, I mean, it, it depends on what your flavor, what you kind of want. If you want like that, uh, the horror. How about the alien uh, science fiction game? Yeah. Uh, did you get a chance to play that down there? No, I did not actually. Chance to play that? Yeah, take a look at these games and look at the board games. Look at the, a lot of the science fiction board games. And I'm not talking about like Star Trek or Star Wars and stuff. There's a lot of other science fiction board games that give you a lot of ideas on how to create your own races with their own special abilities. I know one. Um, the uh, Men in Black game by West End Games. There you go. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Another. Yep, I forgot about that game too. Yep, see? There's so many out there and everything. So then what would be the purpose of the science fiction game is what the whole issue is when you decide the rules and, and, and the, and you know, how design, it, it just, you have to have a, a, a seriously imaginative mind and just take from all elements if you want to start from the very basics and then from there on work on. I mean, like you all mentioned cyberpunk, uh, shadow run, uh, you even talked about Mad Max. How about Logan's Run? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think Logan Run has a lot of great ele science fiction elements, you know, to do in a fantasy yeah. game. You can't even leave the planet. Let's start with that. There is no spaceship travel. Right. You know, everyone went in, in, into uh, into those big uh, bubbles or whatever to protect themselves. You know, the environment is destroyed, and you know, after two, three hundred years and everything, you are a. Uh, I'm not saying everyone has to be the same uh, race or background, but uh, what happens is all of you escape to say that you don't want to die at thirty because you know everyone ha gets killed at thirty, at the age of thirty or whatever it was, right. and. Uh, but you all escape from your bubble and you go out into the real world and now you're exploring the new world that hasn't been, you know, seen in like three, four, five years. And now you're dealing with the, what you call it, element. Uh, what was his name again? The Thundar, you know, element. Yeah. Or or you could even take a Matrix approach. You start the game in typical fantasy D&D &D world, then something happens and they get it unplugged and their consciousness is actually in the real world, which is actually more of a science fiction. There you go, yeah. So you could even jump between the two, taking an approach like that. That's kind for of the yeah. yeah. Now, just to give you an understanding, now, this is funny. You know, I haven't brought this up in a long time, but if you're all familiar with the Scarred Lands campaign. Yes. And that was the one where, you know, all the uh, the gods fought among themselves, the titans and the gods. And, and, and it was terrible because the titans were flung down to the, to the planet and their blood and their, their and all that stuff was making mutated creatures, if you remember that. And again, that's just another start. Just use all those elements there and, and put into that science fiction element. The difficult stuff, like I said, is when it comes to the weapons. How would you uh, implement alien technology? Uh, psionics is just totally alien. Yeah. 
So when I think about this, I can see why Gary was kind of opposed to psionics. Because psionics is, is alien inferred pretty much if, if, if you you know look at some of the races from Star Trek. And I don't remember anyone in Star Wars that had alien, you know, kind of that kind of said people that, you know, was good with the Force. That was good with the Force? Well, I mean, that had that, like, that psionic ability. I guess the Force could be psionic in nature. Right. True. That's how that all applies. That could be your psionic abilities. That's the Force in Star Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, a good idea that I'm jotting down as we speak. Say again? Matt gave me a great idea that I'm jotting down as we speak, the whole Matrix concept. Um, actually, it, was, it reminded me of a TV show that NBC had that they canceled called Awake. I don't know if anybody saw that. No. Yeah, recall that. Well, basically, the premise was the guy was in one reality, his wife was dead, and his son was alive. And the other reality, when he went to sleep and woke oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that on, on, on the uh, computer and everything. I saw about it. Yeah. Yeah, his, his son was alive and his wife was dead. So he couldn't, he had to figure out which reality was which. And both realities intertwined it for his investigations when he was a cop. So and he didn't know which reality was real, so he had to keep putting like different wristbands on his arm to figure out what reality he was in at what time. It's a really good concept, really badly implemented on the show. So, oh, but see right there, and that's the whole point that I'm trying to make. If you're trying to make a science fiction game, you have to go back to everything that you have you know witnessed before, you play before, that you have read before, and get a mishmash, and then start writing down those notes. What would be great? You know, start with the basics and then just work yourself up and everything. How much fantasy do you want in there? How much science fiction do you want in there? So, like I said, you know, if if you ask me personally, like I said, I would, you know, remove the deity stuff and everything. I would remove that. Uh, The spellcasting abilities, I would do it just like how they did the techno mages in Babylon 5. I thought that was just awesome. That was just extremely perfect in how they did the techno majors. That was, you know, using the technology to to weave the spells, and the spells were, uh, what do you call it? a computer program? There it goes. That's what I was trying to catch at. Uh, Matt, you never saw that episode? No, I never. I never really watched Babylon Five. Yeah, I have the RPG. But I've never actually watched an actual episode of it. Right, right. And don't forget shows like Farscape. Uh, yep. uh, Firefly. Yeah, Serenity, I said. Stargate. Stargate. Oh, Stargate is perfect. That is another one. How do they travel from one place to another? Portals. And there was also a role-playing game that was for D20s. You could easily translate backwards. So There you go. I mean, there is so much out there that you can use. And just take and pick and choose. And then you know what? It'll all come naturally once you start getting the feel. Rule-wise, though, if you want to keep it to first edition, it's real simple to do that. First edition can't get no simpler than that. You know, it, just keep it that at that simple level and just convert it over. I mean, when it comes to the weapons and the armor and all that. But I think we'll discuss that later on. But that that's basically what my take is on the whole subject. Okay, cool. Fire in those emails and tell us what you think. Uh, you know what I would do also? If they do send emails, I want to hear what they have to say. What would they change? What would they take and how they would remove it? I bet you'd see an answer to that on Facebook faster than you see an email. Yeah, I still I like emails though because people actually get into it. True. Like right. that one I last week that oh. sent us that three page email. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tend to creature feature theater next. That 
I'll have to say next segment. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what do we use for sci-fi for creatures? I mean, let's adapt some creatures, design some creatures. Other than using the typical, oh look, it's dinosaurs in the future. You know, let's take a see that. Come on. Yeah. Every time there's always a sci-fi thing with like futuristic. There's always dinosaurs. Why do they always pick dinosaurs? Because have... they're big and have sharp, pointy teeth. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> Well, no, but we can revamp some older creatures, and obviously you could take the monster manual and just say any creature is still usable in the future. Just add some intelligence to it. Right. Give them a weapon, which we'll talk about later, and boom, there's a new creature for you. Right, or if you have star travel, give them their own planet. Like Matt said, his own planet. Yeah. Well, you said you had uh, some creatures you wanted to use. Well, I mean, like I said, if if I was to do anything, uh, I would use the most ugliest, the most horrible, and the monsters that no one ever uses. As they, hey, let me the give you an example. Yeah. Well, the fiend folio got some great monsters, but you know, a lot of monsters that people don't use are the plants. The the plants that eat people or have poisons. They look like the triflower frond that's in the uh, in the monster mangle too. A lot of these plants. We're also an expedition into the Barrier Peaks. Use a lot of the strange plant life, the plant, the plants that people don't ever use, or aboleths, and aboleth, uh, mind flayers, intellect devourers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all those are aliens. Those yeah. are alien monsters. Yeah, your aberrations are great for being alien. Yeah. You would use all those crazy little things there. And, and, and you know, uh, the Call of Cthulhu monsters. You know, I mean, they're alien and, you know, in, in background, use them. It's kind of funny when you look at the expedition to the Barrett Peaks. And if people don't know, it was actually a spaceship that went around to different planets, picking up different types of monsters. Mm-hmm. And that's why you ran into all those monsters aboard that ship. I guess the ship crashed. There was an earthquake, and it set it off, and, and it started letting all the monsters out. Like the belay, mm-hmm. that that wasn't even natural to that planet. The reason this belay's on that planet is because they the, the ship let them go, and there was a mind flayer in there in, a, in an alien suit, and he was shooting weapons. He was actually using weapons. And of course, you can always use what's my favorite creatures to use, Matt. Pokemon. Pokemon. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect for sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff. All you gotta do is find something, and and, it's, and, and you know, it doesn't have to be grotesque. Well, honestly, for me, all my monsters would be grotesque and horrible and mutated looking. And, and you want them to do that, but again, they don't all have to be hostile. Predator. We can use a predator. Predator. Yeah. Oh yeah, that would be great. Like alien or something. And I remember this stuff that a long time ago they converted that stuff to first edition. I don't know if you can find that online anymore. Oh. Yeah, because they used to call it the uh, the reticulum par. I can't remember what they call it anymore. But uh, yeah, the reticulum par something. I, I I can't remember. But I remember there was something for first edition out. But monsters. Oh yes, definitely. Spelljammer has tons of them. Go to all those other games that we was talking about, like uh, Battlestar Galactica. Do you remember that space vampire? Yes. What we call he was called a Vorvon, I think. A Vorvon. I think so. There yeah. you go. 
use those creatures. Watch the old episodes and everything, or like the Ovions from yeah, Battlestar Galactica. Another, that, oh, but sorry, the Vorvon was from Buck Rogers. Oh, okay. the, the space vampire, because I remember it attacked Wilma Deering or whatever her name was. And then uh, the Ovions and the Cylons and everything for Battlestar Galactica. Take all that stuff. Take all that stuff. Convert it over. Give it a different name or something. You know, I mean, it's so easy. Go to so easy. Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, there's lots of aliens in that one. There was lots of aliens that they had to invent at the time for that. Yeah, they really did. I mean, yeah, some of them are corny. Like, Star Wars had tons of them. I mean, they had so many aliens in there, it's, it's crazy. I wouldn't be shocked. And, you know, you was talking about why is it always dinosaurs? This is where the Dark Crystal comes in. Put the characters, they, they crash land on a planet like the Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. And Dave, you know, I didn't, Yeah. I'm sorry, say again? And David Bowie attacks them. Sorry. Oh, Labyrinth. that wouldn't be very good. Yeah. <laughs> Or they crash land on a planet like the one. What was that movie that Tom Cruise was in where he was playing that fantasy guy? What was it called again? Uh, They had to save the unicorn. Legend. Legend. There it goes. Mm -hmm. Another prime example. And and, and you know what? And it's kind of funny. Do you not remember when they killed that demon guy or whatever he was? Mm -hmm. Remember when he, he, I guess, I don't know, he went to the university, blew up into a bunch of stars or something? Yeah. Right there. There's your science fiction element. Just have them crash. That's what I'm saying. You can easily do it, but you just got to use the right elements. Or Willow. <laughs> God forbid. That would be hilarious. Oh, that would be so funny, Willow. Well, that's not so... Well, yeah, well, I guess so. Yeah, you just look at how they did all those monsters in there and everything. You know, if you don't think of the older movies like uh, Warlords from the Deep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't... Yeah, if that's that's an old movie. And again, like I said, it all depends on how you want to convert all these crazy monsters over. But use the plants. Dinosaurs, get away from the dinosaurs. That's 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 overplayed. Too Conan-ish. Yeah, I I don't care for that too much. And that's another option. That was that I, that was excellent, Vince. What? Use the monsters from games like that from the pulp games. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely from Conan because those monsters are horrible. Especially the yeah, especially the Conan ones. Wow. Yes, that that was. The, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't even think about Conan until you just said it right now. Put them in that kind of environment. The characters. Yeah, that's excellent. I think that's perfect right there. That was excellent. That was a good. That, yeah, use those monsters. Definitely, sci-fi is the easiest game to rip off a monster from. Oh yes, definitely. A War of the Worlds again. I mean, mm-hmm. you, there's so many monster moves. Now I wouldn't do nothing like with like the Blob. That would, that would be a very hard monster to kill. A gelatinous cube. A very, yeah, very guess... large gelatinous cube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that out. thing's large. <laughs> yeah. The fuck? Something. But, you know, you do bring up an interesting question. Why don't gelatinous cubes just leave the dungeon and go out and just eat everything else? Uh, because it can't fit out the door. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it was just a thought. I would just wonder. Or green slimes. A perfect movie that I just thought of with a really bad ending, but a perfect movie. Remember The Miss by Stephen King? Oh, you know what? Excellent. Mm-hmm. That is an excellent movie. Use those kind of monsters. They were bugs, but they were futuristic bugs. Yep, yep, yep. exactly. Those things, and you know what? I would have no problem saying those things were alien because <laughs> that was like a Cthulhu-esque movie, and those creatures are that horrible. Yeah. That, game, that scared the crap out of me, that movie, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> The arachnoids from Starship Troopers. Oh, yes, exactly. T- 
take them and convert them over, and there you go. You got your alien monsters, and guess what? It's not dinosaurs. And your better place to look at, we've never thought about this, but video games. Yeah. Yep. Uh, perfect example, Silent Hill. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good one. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect yep. example of monsters, that you know, futuristic monsters jumping out at you. Ooh, that game. Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy, yeah, another one. And you know what? EverQuest isn't bad either. If you get if you get the EverQuest books, the RPG, Evercrack. Yeah, they got a ton of horrible monsters in there that are just devastating. Now that the hard part is converting them over. Well, not the hard part, but the, you know, doing the armor and all that other stuff and everything. But I guess we got to still talk about that, don't we? Uh, that's 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 basically just a D twenty conversion. That's all it really is. And you oh. had that already. Good to go. Yeah, so there you go. Don't worry about getting everything perfect. Just eye it. Just put it in for your adventure. You know your players are level four. Design a creature that they can handle or not handle. It's up to you. You're the DM. There's no balanced encounters in this game. Come on. Or if you like a stat block of a monster, fine. Steal that stat block, but describe him completely different. Yeah. It's really the description, not the raw numbers behind it that make it a sci-fi game. Exactly. You're right. Draw it if you can. Commission someone to do something for you. There's tons of artists on what is it, deviantart.com? Yes. That you can go and say, listen, uh, I need some monsters to run for my home game. Do you mind doing it? And they, they may even do it for free just to say that they did it. They may charge you. They may not. I don't know. But generally, a lot of those people I ran into, they'll be like, yeah, as long as you give me credit for it, you can have it for free. So they just want to get their artwork out there. There's your resources. Or uh, wasn't there wasn't there like Elfwood or something dot com or Elfworld was another one or I can't think of the the website. Yeah, I can't remember either. Elfquest. That's a game, wasn't it? Yeah, that Elfquest is a game. Mm. Anyway, all right. So let's head into Dragon's Horde. As the secret portal yields to your efforts, you stand amazed at a vision from the most fevered dreams of avarice. Before you lies the Dragon Sword. Okay, we got Dragon Sword now. We've talked about just about everything up to the point of what about weapons? Well, well, let's go over a few weapons. Obviously, we can get away from the traditional sword and shield, but you might want. We still might want to use the shield. You never know, but. Swords, you can definitely take a traditional sword and just use it as a... Uh, what show was it, the cartoon that did that? The guy showed bolts out of his sword. Uh, Trans or Z? That, no, that's a giant robot that shot all kinds of random things out of him. I know there was one... You could change it into a pure energy sword, like a lightsaber for one, for example. That's one example. You can have swords shoot fire out of it. Uh, and assign it a damage roll, maybe a D6, depending on what you want to do. But getting away from those things, let's get into more traditional things like guns. I know you're just like, ooh, guns! <laughs> let's go to triple lasers and phasers. Mm-hmm. So let's look at a laser pistol, for example. Uh, they would do 2D8 points of damage. Uh, they have a magazine, which would be how many, let's say, shots it would have total right. of 50 inside of it. And as a DM, you could decide how many rate uh, the rate of fire because you know you've seen the TV shows and the movies, and not just going pew and they're waiting and waiting. You obviously some people go pew pew, take more than one shot. So you, as a DM, you could decide rate of fire is maybe two or three. The person takes a minus because you know he's shooting into combat. Uh, 
Just think of uh, arrows. Yeah. Yeah, I would treat laser pistols as the same as arrows and just change the damage and then the uh, rate of fire. And, like, the magazine, yeah, uh, put, like, maybe nine, ten shots or however many feels appropriate. Uh, It's it's based – the magazine's basically the auto-loading quiver. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's also plasma guns, which is used in different series, too. Uh, they're basically uh, fire bolts of high-charged particles, extremely deadly. Uh, they would do 2d10 points of damage because they're a little more deadly than the laser pistol, apparently. Uh, they, This is, I'm reading here, 30 shots per magazine, so that's quite a bit. Yeah, it's more like an assault rifle. And you can go to exotic weapons, uh, which would be like the lightsaber or the uh, psychic energy blade, as they called it in Gamers, the movie. Yeah. And then let's talk about how about hand-thrown things like grenades. You always got to have a grenade. Everybody wants a grenade. How would you do damage for a grenade? Well, I would think of it a grenade damage is maybe like using a fireball blast or something. Mm-hmm. You throw it, it lands in a certain area, and boom, everyone in a certain range takes the damage. What did you guys do it that way? Yeah. I mean, that's how I would do it. it, it other than perhaps whoever's in that the target area takes the most damage and as you get farther to the edge of the blast radius maybe you take less mm-hmm. yeah definitely do that you know because I mean with grenade weapons you know they get to save and throw to take half damage or whatever and it's like you said if, if they're within a certain radius yeah they get more damage while those that were further away take less and then so on and so on yeah you know you have your different types of grenades too whether they're explosive or uh, smoke or stun grenades or you know, yeah, that fragment. Stuff. Oh yeah, fragmentation. Yeah, I don't like those. And then for armor, you're like, oh, you're wondering, well, it's laser, it's uh, you know plasma. What about armor? Well, you have light body armor, which is adaptable to certain lasers and phasers, and and you still use the same AC system of you know the ten minus going down. And light body armor would be a four AC total. Mm-hmm. Medium body armor would be a two. Heavy body armor would bring you down to a zero. And advanced armor, which would be like uh, what they would wear in, uh, say, Starship Troopers, for example. Negative two. And each armor would also give you a damage reduction as well. Yes. That's actually what I was thinking as well. You would pretty much have to have it with the amount of increased damage everyone will be doing with their laser pistols or plasma rifles. Or you do it this way. You say, all right, let's say like light body armor, for example, gives you an AC of four. Right? Let's go with that. Yeah. AC of four. And it gives you a damage reduction of every time you take damage minus six hit points off of it. Now, let's say the total amount this armor could take is 20. So every time you get shot, you take six points off that 20 until it gets down to zero and the armor is useless. Right. Yeah, it's similar to the SDC system from Palladium. They yeah. actually use that for their armor. That's how I would do those armor systems in a futuristic game. I mean, I would think that D&D would probably would do something like that if the rules went that way. Did they do that in the um, chainmail, Well, What was that? The d- damage reduction and the arm would fall apart or something. Well, I mean, there were some rules that were, you know, implied then back then. You know, I haven't done chainmail in a long time. Combat was done very different, you know, per se, because we, uh, oh, what was that other game that we played back then? 
that did that according to Chainmail. Oh, it's been so long. You're talking about 30 years ago, Vince. <laughs> I know. All right, don't worry about it. When you yeah. think, just shout it out. Yeah, let me th- I'm thinking about it for a second. It's taking me some time to remember, but I haven't played that in 30-something years. And then, of course, we can get into what we also cybernetics, like implants. Everybody's like, oh, sci-fi right there, you know? Yeah. You have maybe a special implant in your arm that gives you more strength. Yeah. You you just basically you could just pull magic items out of the back of the DMG, say, okay, this gauntlet is actually a cybernetic hand. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Or that ring is like, you know, a finger limb or something. Right. The eye of Vecna is still the eye of Vecna. <laughs> the head of Vecna. Right. Yes, the head of Vecna. I don't like that idea. <laughs> That's that sounds very nasty. The head of Victor? <laughs> yeah. That was a ha- uh, Hackmaster joke, I think. Oh, okay. And yeah, no, I, I think that's right, though. But the, I think that's what you said about the armor is spot on. That if they wear armor, it'd be resistant to certain things. And, uh, you know, just use your imagination when it comes to those weapons and everything. Because, like, you know, lightsabers or whatever, you know, energy sticks, right. pain that's- sticks oh. like Klingons use. True. Don't get me wrong about the light armor. Once the damage reduction is gone, it would just be treated as regular armor AC4. So if you got hit, you would just take the full damage. Not that your armor would go completely away. It's uh, just that- I might even have the armor go completely away. Unless you do... That would encourage them to do maintenance on their armor to recover some of those lost. Well, yeah. you, you want the damage reduction after every battle. Right. I'm just saying in the middle of battle, so you... Oh, can- okay, in the... Yeah, I no. I was thinking. Oh, if it if it actually hits that low, it no longer. The way I would do it, once it hits zero, it no longer works. It's no longer armor. It's just been shredded that much. So that way, you want to make sure you're doing maintenance and you keep that high tech armor working as best as possible in between every battle. It just makes would, it, it makes it a little more lethal. I would say that. It would still be an AC of four, but after the battle's gone, I would describe it as your armor's about to fall off. You might want to maintain that. Yeah. It's just a piece of metal hanging from a string now, pretty much. So or it's, you could, so yeah, it's you all female have... armor from, like, the mid-'80s? Yes. Okay. Well, you can have the armor like those things in Star Wars. What are those those funny uh, those robots that rolled Storm around Super. and had the force? No, they had the force field. Yeah. Oh, the battle them. droids. Battle yeah, droids? see, now, I like that where they have a deflector kind of like thing around them but after it takes so much damage you know some of it may bleed through maybe depending on what hits it but eventually once it gets down to zero that shield is gone guess what bad boy your armor class is nine that's what the well that's what this armor pretty much what i'm describing and then oh, okay. yeah but except not nine <laughs> then i would give it a higher damage reduction uh total instead of 20 i'd say 50 right right your way and then once it hits the 50 boom it's gone yeah, like I said, you know, you get the braces of armor class of defense, you know, braces of armor class two or three. What those are, those are more or less uh, uh, absorbers that they can absorb so much damage, mm-hmm. otherwise it goes through you. You're Wonder Woman, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Or, or those bracers generate a small personal force field that just covers your body, and as you take hits, it weakens. There you go, exactly. And then you have your traditional guns, I forgot, your rail guns, your bullet guns, right. things that. Yeah, pretty much any wand that shoots out something can easily be converted to. It's a gun that does the same thing. Oh my god! Imagine a fireball gun. Yeah, <laughs> a giant. Well, they 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 kind of actually already exist. You can actually buy incendiary shotgun shells. Really? 
Yes, they're called a dragon's breath. And basically when you shoot them, it's like you shot out a giant fireball. <laughs> I guess you can't use those in the target range, huh? No, no. You can go on YouTube and just search for, like, dragon's breath gun, and you will see some ridiculous things with those. Big giant wow. fireball. I have to check that out. All right, well, we've given you some examples of weapons and damage for the future, as well as armament. And Will is giving you some great ideas of monsters and other things. Uh, just take it and use it and uh, tell us what you've been doing for future games. I know a lot of people ask about what we do for sci-fi-ish. I know a perfect example was I ran a game at uh, Gen Con 2010. Was it 11? I don't remember. I remember I invented this, like, gauntlet up, and... The players didn't know how to use it, obviously, because it's a future tech thing. And the gauntlet shot out a bolt of energy to their foes. Now, what I did was every time he hit, if he hit on the number, I'd have him roll a D4. And if he rolled a 3 or 4, nothing would happen. And he would just do, like, punching damage. But if he rolled a 1 or 2, like, a bolt would come out and zap the whatever enemy. If he rolled higher, I would have him still roll a D4, but the bolts would go from one person to the next person to the next person, doing more and more damage each time. So it was kind of a fun thing to do. So I guess that's going to wrap the show for this week, guys. Yep. Awesome. Good show. Definitely. Definitely. We'll be back next week with more fun and more will. <laughs> no, only uh, let's see, there's four of us, only 25% will. 25% will next time. So Will says takes up 75% of the time. Yes. <laughs> I know he's joking. I know he's messing around. I just have so much I can say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, RFI staff at gmail.com, RFI podcast.com is our, uh, RFI podcast, yeah, dot com is our website. Oh, we start gaming slash forums. Join the forums, chat it up with all our wonderful people there. Uh that's all I can think of. Oh, hotline, 570-865-4210, the RFI hotline. And uh, call us, write us, smoke signal us, or contact us on Facebook. Yep. See you later. Good night. See you all later. Roll for initiative.